Welcome down to North Star Community. Uh, I am Scott. I am Teresa. We are the pastors, and we have been doing these message recaps for a while. We do them because we had requests to record our messages on the weekends. We felt like there might be some confidentiality issues because people share very freely, and so we decided to podcast with them afterwards and have a conversation with each other about the messages that we delivered. So that is what you are hearing today. This most recent message uh, was the last weekend in August. Is that right? So Last full weekend in August, yeah. Yeah, so somewhere around um, somewhere around August 23rd, 24th, something like that. I can't remember the exact dates. It doesn't 24th per- and 25th, 24th and 25th. Really precise. Okay, perfect. Um, so this was a message given by Teresa. We had recently been in a series on First John. We are now pivoting and um, and leaving that. So where are we headed now? Or where were, where were we going this past weekend? Well, I think um, we have no clue where we're headed. That That's what usually happens to us in the middle of a pivot, right? We're just are like floundering for a while until we... Well, we do have a schedule. We, did we do schedule, have a schedule. We scheduled the rest of the... Uh, we scheduled topics for the rest of the year. Oh, that's so cool because now we know who's doing it. We just don't know what each one of us is doing. So yay for us. No, no. <laughs> we, we have topics actually scheduled. Which oh, we, that's right. Yeah, Back yeah, in the which, spring. Mm-hmm, which we haven't done a whole lot of. See, you know, this is why we shouldn't plan. Well, then we, we got to remember that nobody we knows. Nobody knows, so we don't have to stick to it. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, but um, were you trying to start something new this weekend or... Did you envision this as kind of a one-off, something that you felt passionate about? It was a passionate one-off message for me um, that sort of came out of a personal experience I had in light of all that we've been talking about. And it was sort of a confessional message for me, I guess. Um, But I, I think that most confessional messages bring with them a challenge and an opportunity, or else, hell, why would we do it? Um, so yeah, it was kind of a one-off for me. And not really. I mean, but sort of, yeah. So you said it was um, uh, in response to some things we had been talking about. So what things did you have in mind that we had been talking about that had been um, sort of, uh, you know, what what are the things that were sort of um, nagging? Is that a, is that an appropriate yeah. word choice? Yeah. Um, what what things were nagging at you? Okay, so remember that in First John we were talking about how patient God is, how much God loves us. You know, all those usual God loves us messages, right? Yada, yada, and yada. And that, that loving message should really change how we um, have fellowship with one another. So it should, in, in theory, um, make us more loving, caring, empathetic people, right? So we had that going on. And then I have this personal experience um, that calls all that into challenge for me while on vacation. And so I have to go back and revisit my theory in reality. So that's what happened to me. Okay, so uh, you had been talking, you had been um, preaching and um, then you had an opportunity to decide whether or not you were going to practice what you preached. Yeah, and it was difficult. Yes. I didn't want to really practice what I preached. None of us does, really. Um, 
even if we're not uh, preachers, we all say we believe certain things, and then the challenge is, do you believe it enough to have your actions match what you say you believe, right? right. I mean, that's sort of the challenge for right. all of life, whether you're a person of faith or not. Are you uh, willing to live consistently and with uh, any kind of integrity? Right. And um, so that was the the spoken point of my message. But the unspoken intention of delivering the message, I think, was to give our crowd permission to um, see lived out in our community what I hope people would understand was a more uh, vulnerable and honest way to live uh, because it, you know, it was kind of embarrassing um, how I had to process through my incident while on vacation. And that was really the other point of First John, right? That First John isn't about telling us to get better. It's about telling us to get more honest. And there is this message in First John, and I really would challenge us to believe or consider throughout the Bible, that what it says is because of the way God positions himself covenantly towards us, if we will be more honest, things will change for us. And so I I wanted to really um, had a perfect example to be honest about how that was hard for me. And um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that in that we're all going to get a little bit more comfortable with talking about things we really don't want to share. Okay, so um, you've uh, made reference to a personal experience several times. Um, so we've, we've kind of been dancing around what what you were um, what you talked about in the message. So go ahead and let's dig in. Tell us tell us the story. Tell us why it made you. Uh, tell us what it had to do with what you'd been thinking about, what, how it related to prior messages, and um, yeah. Okay. So we're on vacation. Pete, my husband, your father, loses his favorite blue shirt, and for whatever reason, that seems to be my fault. So we're rooting around in the guest bedroom where we're staying looking for his favorite blue shirt, and we look under the bed— and there's something sparkly underneath the bed. And I say to him, hey, what is that sparkly thing underneath your side of the bed? And he pulls it out and he goes, one of the children's toys. And I'm like, that is not one of the children's toys. That is a beautiful ring. And it was gorgeous. It had a, uh, it had a big gemstone in the middle, uh, yellow gold, and a boatload of diamonds on each side of the ring. It was big, it was gaudy, it was beautiful, and two words came to mind when I saw it um, out of the Lord of the Rings uh, series, oh. My my Precious, right? <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say Finders Keepers, but yeah, when you said Lord of the Rings, I, I knew where you were going yeah, with that. Yeah, it was like, oh, my precious, it's mm-hmm. beautiful, it's attractive. Yep. Which was then followed by the thought, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, mm-hmm. right? How do I make this mine? How, how do I make this precious my precious? Mm-hmm. 
And so it began a whole series, a multiple-day conversation about how uh, I was going to handle finding this lost thing. Right. Now, at that point, I didn't know if I had found a $10,000 ring or a $10 ring. Yep. Uh, but I knew that there was a possibility that I'd found a $10,000 ring. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I wanted to keep it. Um, I really did. And uh, I didn't want to be responsible uh, to looking for the owner when, after all, the owner hadn't been responsible enough to hold on to their own jewelry, right? So I had these series of opportunities to justify keeping the ring. Right. But what's really unfortunate for me is that in our line of work, we're always doing these messages. So even when I'm on vacation, I'm working on messages. So I never really get a week off from the persistent drip, drip, drip of God's word. So in my devotional that week, one morning, I came across Isaiah 54, Old Testament passage, where it said this, I'm promising now no more anger, no more dressing you down. For even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. And I was really irritated by this passage because it didn't provide me any accountability. Mm -hmm. In other words, I sat there and looked at the passage and said, God's not going to walk away from me even if I keep this ring. God is going, he may, he may, uh, discipline me in some way, or he may, because there's plenty of scripture that talks about that. Uh, There may be consequences for my action because there's plenty of stories in the Bible that teach that. But ultimately, he's not going to walk away from me because of his covenant commitment to peace, regardless of what I do. This This is so irritating. Uh, Because frankly, Fear works for me. So if I had been reading in the Ten Commandments where it says, do not steal, I might have been more immediately motivated to think about, Am I, is this an act of stealing? Now look, of course I justify that it's not. I didn't steal it. I found it, right? This is how my mind works. In other words, there were two things that were really clear to me as I wrestled with this. Thing one, I was no longer at a place in my spiritual life where I could psych myself up to do the right thing by being afraid that I was going to get punished by God. Just doesn't work for me anymore. That's thing one. Thing two has completely slipped my mind. (laughs) So I don't know what thing two was. Well, while you think about it, I'll say this. You know, one of the things I think where you're headed with this is you're going to be 
modeling a lot of your self-reflection and how you think through these issues. And you even talked about the fact that, you know, you didn't want to give the ring up. You didn't want to find the the rightful owner, um, yada, yada, yada. And you said, you know, I have lots of ways in which I could justify viewing this situation as not stealing. And I think that sometimes when we um, tell stories on ourselves in the message, one of the things that happens from time to time is people say you're being too hard on yourself. And I think that one of the things that we've done, and part of this is because of trying to do that work of self-reflection that you're talking about on a weekly basis in preparation for the messages, is that, you know, instead of trying to... um, justify why something might be okay, I think what we try to do, what we try to model, and we don't always do it well, right? We're not particularly good at it, but our way of seeing that we are pursuing, however imperfectly, is rather than thinking about things in terms of like, how can I make this okay? It's like we almost look at it in terms of how can I catastrophize this? Right. As in like, how could I make this the work like what's the worst uh case scenario um for the morality of this situation right so for you um the there's lots of different perspectives you could have on finding somebody else's ring in the condo that you're staying in for a week right and there's and there's ways where you could justify it where it's okay and there's and there's perspectives where you could look at it and and say it's not okay at all and so I think it's an exercise, it's a spiritual discipline to say, what is the worst version of this? And could I live with that? Yeah. And I think that is what you're talking about doing. You're not saying that this is inherently the the worst possible thing you could have done. You're not saying that this is the worst version of stealing, because it's not. Right. Um, you're not you're not saying any of that. You're just saying that if this were, as a thought exercise, the worst moral version of this story. Right. Could I live with that? And if not, uh, what do I need to do in order to be able to live with myself? Right. And, and I mean, what are the implications of me making the most selfish choice possible, right? What are the implications for myself and for others as a result of that? Because we're in the habit of thinking through the lens of community, not individual. Um, I, I don't know if we've talked about this in the messages before, but the French philosopher John Paul Sartre, or Sartre, depending on, uh, yeah, I don't know which pronunciation is right, but um, one of the things that he wrote is that when people are making decisions, they make the decision... Uh, I don't, I don't know if he wrote this in terms of this is how you should make decisions or if he was just saying this is how people do make decisions. But either way, the thought is uh, essentially something like make the decision, people make decisions that they would, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Um, would you be okay with the entire world making the decision that you made? Right, mm-hmm. like if everybody else made the same kind of decision that you made, uh, would the world be an okay place? Mm-hmm. And if so, 
then perhaps you're free to make that decision. But if not, then you may want to question why you'd be okay making that decision if you wouldn't be okay with everybody making that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's a great question. I didn't process it out that way. I I did sort of my typical thing, which is what you said, you know, like um, a question I ask myself is if I lean into this worst version, most selfish version of myself, uh, what are the implications of that? And then I try to go to the next thing and say, you know, if you were, if you were practically Mother Teresa and not just plain old Teresa, what decisions might someone uh, make who who made their decisions from a, a place of great unselfishness? And where are you going to land on the thing? And just be be honest about it, but not not be careless about the decision. Yeah. Because I still go back to this Isaiah 54 thing that says, I'm not having to work anymore to be the most unselfish person out of a fear that God will smite me. Right. And, um, you know, that has, that, that has its own problems, right? Uh, uh, fear can be a very powerful motivator. It's just not a very fun way to live. And I don't think it's particularly in keeping with who God is. It's also not really a long-term motivator. I mean, like, um, I think of the Dale Ryan story of somebody coming to him after a message and who had been visiting the church where he was a pastor at the time and saying that she couldn't go there anymore because, um, maybe I remember the details better than, than I can, but some, something to the effect of, um, uh, this was really nice, but I can't go to this church anymore because I don't feel bad about, bad enough about myself. Um, I don't feel bad. She, she wasn't leaving church feeling bad enough about herself to incentivize her to, to perform yes. from th- uh, throughout the week, right? I mean, that was yes. the, I can't remember the details of what she actually said, but that was the upshot of the message, which is I come to church so that I feel bad enough about myself so that I stay within uh, the lanes uh, between Sunday and Sunday. Yeah, and that's not the only story we've heard. Uh, I remember a story of a young woman who I absolutely adore who went off to college and found a particular kind of church, and she came back uh, over Christmas break, and I was getting all caught up on her life because I adored her, and I was so excited to hear, and she said, I found the perfect church. Because every Sunday I leave there feeling super guilty about my life and and super uh, convicted that I'm not a good enough person. And that I find that very motivating. And, um, oh, my gosh, I was completely disheartened by that. I felt like I'd been a terrible mentor and teacher to her because, look, I— although she's a hard-driving girl, maybe that'll always work for her, but— I just don't find that that really works well for everybody. Um, well, it doesn't because what happens it's exhausting. is exhausting. I mean, it, you won't. I mean, it may take years yet, but it will not work for that person eventually because what happens for everybody, I think, is you just get desensitized to your own shame. I mean, it may yeah. still be there, and it may have effects other than um, you know. It, it will even if you still feel the same level of shame each week going to going and hearing a message that makes you feel shame, um, eventually 
you are desensitized to the effect the shame has in terms of your actions. You may still feel it, and it may still and it may start popping out in other ways, and you may have unintended consequences and reactions to it. But eventually, it's going to stop motivating you to behave like a good little boy or a good little girl. Or if you can live without a self-awareness to the nuances of a self-centered lifestyle, then it's going to give you a certain spiritual arrogance that is going to totally undermine your capacity to actually be loving and helpful to others, right? Yeah. So it's a no, it's a no-win situation. So anyway, I had all this that I had to wrestle with. Um, you know, what do I do with a God whose love won't walk away from me paired with an equally um, true message that we nag, preach, talk about, wrestle with all the time around here, which is, you know, humanity is actually pronounced by God to be very good at its core, and we have the capacity to bear his image. And I'm just not sure I could not make it possible for me to believe that even a small part of me bearing God's image should be so entranced with a with a, a sparkly ring. Yeah. So of course, you know, um I I tried to return the ring. Um nobody had asked for it, asked about it. I left my name and number. Um, nobody called. Um, and you visited a jewelry store to get it looked at. I went to it. I said, how far do I have to go to do, to try to return this ring? So I went to a jewelry store and they said to me, this ring full price isn't worth more than 20 bucks. (laughs) So what I had here was something big and gaudy and sparkly that caught my untrained eyes attention. Yep. But it's a $20 ring. Nobody's probably wringing their hands over it. Mm-hmm. And so I could I could let it go in terms of uh, trying to do more than I'd already done. I'm not going to build a social media campaign around trying to find a $20 ring somebody left in a, in a resort. Yep. So that was the end of the story, but kind of the beginning of me continuing to think about my attraction to playing with the idea of figuring a way to justify keeping a $20 ring, uh, am I really willing to do that for 20 bucks? Right. when it wasn't mine and I didn't pay $20 for it. So... Yeah, that was the message that that we talked about. Um, so I think you know the the way in which I would summarize your message, um, and uh, you know this is I think this is a point that's come out already, but it's uh, you know just to hammer it home um, was this idea that um, um, God is not working through explicit punishment. You know, God is not motivating through punishment. Right. And and so therefore, you're free to choose um, who you want to be in this world in relation to God, because you're not facing immediate consequences, right? right? Like so, 
So if you've been living thinking that there are immediate consequences from God for your actions, and that's what's been keeping you between the lanes or between the lines or whatever, um, well, there actually aren't. I mean, sometimes there are consequences built into the way that creation works that we right. feel, right? right? And so, um, um, and, and so there can be def- there definitely can be consequences for our actions, but God is not immediately punishing us for our actions. So if that's what's been keeping you between the lines, then that, you you know, it's not exactly true. You know, you've been living, you've not necessarily been living according to the truth. And so knowing that there's no punishment right around the corner means that you're going to be fairly responsible for trying to figure out for yourself if you are going to choose whether or not uh, you're gonna ch- you're gonna need to choose both what your lines are, right? Based on what you know to be true of God, and then you're gonna have to choose whether or not you're gonna live between them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the essence of pursuing God's will. Yeah, and so then it's it's the the um, the spiritual disciplines at that point are are not a passive thing; they're a wrestling thing. You're wrestling with this is the work, it and it doesn't make you a bad person to wrestle, it makes you a person who actually cares about it. Yep. And um, so there's no there's no need to sugarcoat the fact that I thought the ring was really pretty. And um, so I'm never going to get rid of this ring because this ring is going to serve as a reminder to me of the struggle and the temptation and how easy it would be to be distracted by a precious, um, it and how fortunate I am to be um, exposed because of the community um, that I live in to this consistent hammering away that we have a certain way of seeing that drives our decision making that is larger than what we feel, what we want. How we think, because you could see in that story, I could have thought 20 different ways and could have found support for it for, for not for not being um, a little bit more thoughtful about my decision. And I'll well, tell you that, that in the end, what really did it for me was imagining our work here at North Star Community and my role in particular of facilitating small groups or when we do the weekend message or when we write a blog post, we keep asking people to do really hard things. And I was trying to reconcile this passion I have to try to inspire people to know that they can do hard things and then challenge them to do so. And in the end, I wasn't willing to do a few necessary things to try to get a ring back to somebody who might have lost it? Well, you were. I just couldn't stand that thought. Well, you were willing to do that because you did. But I think the point that you're making, which I think is, uh, you know, a good, uh, you know, it's a point we've tried to make several times over the years. Um, uh, So so what I'm about to say is a real effort in um, non-dualistic living. Right. Which is... um, 
I think it's a really important and useful exercise for our growth as human beings and in, in trying to become people who can live out of our certain way of seeing. And what you're doing, to rephrase something we talked about earlier, is you're looking at yourself and saying, what's the worst version of me that's in here? Yeah. Right? Like you're trying to confront your worst impulses. Right. And you're not fooling yourself about the fact that they're there. What you are acknowledging is that um, you have these impulses and you have the freedom to choose what you're going to do with them. Right. And so this is something that I would encourage all people to do. Consider what your worst impulses are. Don't pretend like they're not there. Don't pretend like you couldn't possibly be the kind of person who would do X, Y, or Z. No, consider that you might be the type of person who would do X, Y, or Z, assuming those are really bad things. But don't shame yourself over the fact that you have the impulse to be a person who does horrible things. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's the essence of how we grow and mature spiritually is to be honest, uh, recalling our first John language, about the depths of darkness that are within each of us. But then at the same time, not living in shame over that and, and figuring out, you know, this is a conversation for another day, how you do this. But but essentially, confront your darkest impulses, acknowledge the fact that they're there, and don't live in shame over them. You don't need to do that because it's not part of this relationship with God. And part of being in fellowship with one another is being willing to tell your tribe that that's the impulse you have. Yeah. And I think that that's, I hope and pray that ultimately that's more inspiring and encouraging than trying to shame or guilt somebody into being um, their best version of their self without ever looking at their shadow self. I mean, imagine, not to hammer this home too much, but imagine this. Imagine you said to yourself, I'm not the type of person who would steal a ring. But then you didn't actually take the methods, the, the, not the methods, you didn't actually take the steps to return it. Right. So then imagine, um, like literally, tell me how you would, tell me what would be going on within you if you said, I'm not the type of person who would do this, but then you held on to the ring. Yeah, I mean... There would be no joy in that, right? You would have a lot of cognitive dissonance. There is right? a lot. There is a lot of tension in that, and you've got to spend. You're in your mind and heart. You've got to spend a lot of time not thinking about that. Right? You'd have to learn how to be a person who says, "I'm not the type of person who would do exactly what I'm doing." Yeah, and that's no way to live. No, I think it's actually easier to live as a person who says, I am the type of person who would steal something and I, and I stole it, than to be the type of person who says, I'm not the type of person who would steal something, but you did. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that definitely if you really are care at all, I think more importantly, that's what God says is the more serious thing. <laughs> I mean, that is the message, that is the message of, the, of the Bible, right? I want you to be honest with me. Just tell me the truth, you know? Um, yeah. And then accept the grace that would cover. Right. Accept that there's grace to cover even this. Right. And that there's something fundamentally that happens when you are honest. 
Yeah, there's, that is I think, mysterious and beautiful. I think that's right. I think there's less grace available for the person who says, I'm not the type of person who could take something, but then you took something. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's just such a dangerous place to live in. Right. So, yeah, that was my that was my vacation uh, wrestling experience, and it was instructive for me. That's good. I think we've... Um, it sounds like you're wrapping up and it sounds like we've done everything that we need to do there. Do you feel that way or did you have... I do. Okay. I, I feel like we got it. All right. Well... Um, and if you lost a ring and mass a nothing... Let us know. Let us know. I got it for you. Of course, I'm going to require you to describe it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are you going to recommend this week? We've been doing... We've been trying to end with some recommendations. Um, just little things to check out in the world. Uh, what do you have? Did I recommend a website last week? Did I recommend... The Mindful website? Yeah. You did. Well, that's quite disappointing to me because I've been um, digging in there and um, really quite liking it. So um, I have another recommendation, though. Go for it. Okay, so we're recording this at summer's end. I'm headed off to vacation. Yep. I've done some anticipatory vacation reading and read a beautiful book. I usually don't like books that a lot of people recommend. <laughs> Is that a pride thing? Or no, what's no, going it's on there? like I, I just, you know, if I'm going to read fiction, I want it to be trashy and poorly written. Okay. Uh, but um, I made an exception to this one. Um, Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay. Is a beautiful book. Several people have mentioned that to me. Oh my gosh, Scott, you gotta you gotta read it. It's beautiful literature, and um, it's a story of forgiveness and redemption, and people doing unexpectedly very bad things. <laughs> and I am not often completely surprised by the ending of a book because often I read the last chapter first. That is messed up. I know. Everyone seems to think so, but I I have been known to do it. I didn't do it in this case, um, and I'm so glad I didn't because it would have ruined the whole book. But um, it's a great little book, and I would recommend it. Okay. What about you? What are you um, recommending? Yeah, I wish I had something. Um, maybe I'll make two recommendations so that I'm not um, only recommending filth. But um, we just watched Mindhunter Season 2 on Netflix, which okay. is, you know, if you've... Brittany is uh, fairly obsessed with true crime, and um, we both actually have read um, books written by um, uh, Robert Ressler and John Douglas, who were the guys who founded the Behavioral Health Sciences Unit at the FBI, which is basically the unit that started studying serial killers, yada, yada, yada. So now there's this Netflix show that's kind of loosely based on their lives that's uh, quite good called Mindhunter. Um, and I think that's the name of the book that John Douglas wrote. So anyway, if you want to watch some trashy TV, uh, I mean, it's not trashy, but it's dark and it's kind of disturbing and I think we kind of glorify serial killers a bit, and that disturbs me, but yet I still participate in it. 
So yeah, feeling some, being honest. Yeah, feeling some some dissonance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for something that's maybe a little bit more uplifting, Toy Story. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, there are some disturbing things in the newest Toy Story. I, I got to tell you. Okay. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not recommending that. Um, John Gottman and um, this is embarrassing and probably sexist. What is his wife's name? Is it Cynthia? Mrs. Gottman. Uh, I don't know. Jeez, that's embarrassing. I, I do feel like it might be Cynthia, but. Um, yeah, I don't have my phone in my hand, but either way, the Gottman Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow them on Facebook. It's just the Gottman Institute. They did a, they've done um, a lot of longitudinal studies, studies that have taken place over a long period of time on what makes couples work, what makes uh, marriage and committed relationships work. And they've written a number of books on the topic, um, both what uh, they've written books on what uh, makes marriages not work and what makes marriages work. And what are some um, they wrote a book, I think eight conversations was one of them, which is like eight, eight conversations. Or yeah, something. something like that. Com- important conversations to have for a thriving relationship over time. Something something to that effect check out the Gottmans and the work that they've done. Um, particular, you know, you don't have to be in a, in a romantic relationship to benefit from what they do because I think a lot of the, the ideas could apply to long-term friendships. They could apply to family relationships. Um, you know, some of the stuff obviously is going to be particular to romantic relationships, but I think the, the kind of um, communication skills that they teach and that kind of thing can have a, a wide array of applications. So those books are really, really good and really useful. And the work that they're doing is great. And they post great articles on Facebook. So at the very least, give them a follow on Facebook, um, not for their sake, but for yours. And part two of that is um, you're going to be doing a marriage seminar based on some of their materials starting in October. I am excited about it. uh, By the time this podcast comes out, even though we're recording it the last week of August, it's probably three or four weeks away from coming out. So it's going to be released. Uh, so when you're when you're hearing this, if you're listening to it right when it came out, then we're only a couple weeks away from that marriage seminar starting, I think. Yep. I'd have to check the schedule. But um, it starts October 14th. So it's really coming up. So just pay attention to that. There's a sign up online. Just let us know that you're coming. It's not... Uh, if you if you if you if you don't sign up online, you can still show up. It's not it's not that critical, but um, it's it's always helpful to us to know if you're able to do it. So those that's my recommendation: the Gottmans and uh, the marriage seminar that you're doing this fall. Um, at this point in the podcast, you are starting to hear music, or perhaps it's been playing over recommendations. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It comes to us from Blue Dot Sessions, royalty-free. We are grateful for that. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. We are North Star Community. You can find us on the web at northstarcommunity.com. As always, we appreciate you listening, and we will be back next week. Bye-bye.